brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. And by Beneath. Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Lucky for you, you get to hear this Miley Cyrus Annie Letterman voice this week. And uh, on the other end of the listening platform here, we've got Jesse Gould. He's a founder and president of Heroic Hearts. He is not only a badass human, but he founded this place in 2017 out of the sheer need for veteran support. This guy is so dope. He's also an army ranger and somebody I respect so heavily. And I'm so grateful to have on the show Welcome, Jesse Gould, to the show, everyone. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Great to be here. I'm uh, really honored to be on your show and to have another conversation with you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's fun. Um, let's. I'm going to kind of give a quick intro into how I met you uh, for people who don't know. So I met Jesse because I was struggling really, really bad with PTSD. And I met him through um, another veteran named... Uh, well, we'll just Griff. We'll just call him Griff, and he's the owner of uh, one of the owners of Combat Flip Flops. And I did a podcast with him, and I was really fortunate because he knew Jesse. And he goes, "Listen, you know, there's this thing called ayahuasca." And I was like, "Hey, I've heard of that." And he's like, "Yeah, but like, have you really heard of it? Because let me educate you real quick." And I was like, "Well, I didn't hear that much, so let's talk some more." Long and short, Jesse came into my life right at the right time. And something I've done a lot of thinking about, which I don't, now I get it. So I'm going to try to talk about it in the way that it makes sense. When I figured out your last name, I never put two and two together. And then after I did Aya and she showed me things and brought me back to my friend, Chris Gould, everything made so much fucking sense. It's not even funny. So you helped to save my life, Jesse, and you know that, and I owe you guys everything. So I want you to kind of go through step by step and tell me how ayahuasca came to be for you and, and really what you do with Heroic Hearts now. Absolutely, and, and thank you so much for, for that intro, and yeah, I'm so fortunate we both connected, and shout out to Griff for being the, the connector of, of so many of, of these things. Um, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, um, I was in the U.S. Uh, military as an Army Ranger, which is a special ops unit in the U.S. Army, uh, multiple deployments to Afghanistan in, in combat situations. I was a non-commissioned officer, so in charge of, uh, at any given moment, 30-plus individuals training and overseas. Um, and overall, just had a pretty successful military uh, career and avoided anything that I thought would be, you know, changing my life you know you see in the movies that there's always these one event that, that just destroys a person's psyche yeah. and I was like oh well I don't have that so I'm, I'm good to go right like let me just go back into the civilian world and be fine uh but little did I know that it was much more complicated than that and uh 
you know, PTSD or some of these war related traumas come from all sorts of different, all sorts of different shapes and forms. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not just a black and white sort of situation. So anyway, after I got out of the military, I was, I was really pumped to go. I had a background in finance, had this military confidence that came from there and just thought I was going to hit the ground running. And at first I did, I, I traveled around, uh, tried a few different things, ended up, uh, back in finance in this big international company. And I was doing, uh, great. I was getting compliments, doing well, but I think because my life finally fell into this sort of cubby hole of a uh, nine to five sort of job. Uh, that's when the bad habits or the negative way I was going really started to shine. And I just started having a lot of red flags where, you know, the army lifestyle, the ranger lifestyle is work hard, play hard. And that doesn't necessarily translate that well to the corporate world. And so I just found myself in this situation where I was just like becoming super unhappy uh, having to miss work because of panic attacks for no reason, uh, you know, Friday night, just staring at the ceiling at a depression, overuse of alcohol, just to self-medicate, to fall asleep or calm down in bars or, you know, uh, overcome the previous hangovers. I just found myself in these like really bad situations. And now on reflection, I realized how many dangerous situations I put myself in, you know, whether it's just driving my motorcycle recklessly or while I was traveling would just put myself in, you know, these dangerous areas for no reason other than to just challenge the world, challenge life. Um, and like I said, so fortunately, uh, I had some red flags, tried to seek help, uh, went to the VA, the VA in the U.S. unfortunately told me that, you know, the, the, the pathway was laced with a lot of medications and that's essentially all they could offer me. And so, I just found myself in this situation where I knew I was struggling and, and slowly falling into this probably irreversible rut. And there's no help. There's no professionals that could, that were helping me. So then I heard about ayahuasca and I came from it, from a, this, this sort of position of all drugs are bad. All drugs are the same. If you take a drug, then you're some degree of criminal or you're some degree of, you know, counter society kind of person. And I didn't judge other people who did it, but I just never self-identified with the need or the want or desire uh, to do any sort of drug, especially not a psychedelic. It just seemed the utmost of a recreational kind of drug. Um, but it was that confluence of events where uh, necessity and, and me kind of getting to my rope's end and no other options. And the more boredly I looked in ayahuasca, uh, I think at the back of my brain, eventually it was just like, Hey, stupid, <laughs> like just go to Peru and try it get out. Get the point, so, man. Get the point. Exactly. And so eventually I did. Uh, fortunately there seems to be a calling to a lot of these things. The same reason that you got, that we met up and, uh, found my, I, I, uh, knew that whatever I was doing in Tampa, Florida at that time was just not working. And so I was like, okay, well, let's change the formula. So I, put him two weeks notice, uh, packed up all my things, put them in storage and essentially bought a one-way ticket to Peru, uh, just trying to figure out how to essentially save my life. And uh, when I went there, just super nervous, but went through the, the ayahuasca and it was a uh, kick my ass, but uh, I think I needed an ass kicking. And it also brought in a lot of great insights and healing. When you went to Peru, did you have an idea of where you were going or who you were going with? Did you go by yourself? Because 
you, you know, the more and more you kind of learn about these things and the bigger and bigger the research and the awareness of ayahuasca gets, the more and more people take advantage of society in a way. And, and you know what I'm talking about. So that's why I'm asking you, like, was there, was there uh, a pathway you took or someone you spoke with? So, I mean, this was even, this wasn't too long ago, but even back then there's far less infrastructure than there is even as today or what we're trying to establish with the Royal Cards Project. And so I did my best to do research, but essentially, you know, it was, it was, there's whispers of it here and there. And sometimes somebody brought it up, but there, there wasn't like a travel guide of like, okay, you're going to do this psychedelic in the jungle. Here's the top 10 things you should know. So it was essentially just like Google searching and eventually finding certain retreats and then just kind of using like, okay, well, this one's just asking me for my credit card. Let's avoid that one. Right. Uh, this, this one's taking me on dolphin tours. That's I'm not really interested in that. So I eventually found, I, I did my best to do research, but it, there really wasn't that much. And like not coming from a drug or psychedelic experience, I was, I was definitely out of my depth. So like, I have no idea what any of this means, but eventually found a spot um, that, you know, actually asked for like, you had to apply for it. There's a lot of information on there. The website was, uh, you know, like built in the 1990s. So, you know, yes. at, at least I knew it wasn't like just this money-making scheme kind of thing. And so I eventually talked to the owner and got some comfort with it. Um, I had some experience. I'd traveled abroad back in the day in, in South America. So I had some experience getting around and, you know, I spoke Spanish and all that. So, I mean, it was just like, this is already a crazy idea. So let's just choose this crazy retreat versus the others. Um, but yeah, I mean, there really, there was like some advice there, but there wasn't really a lot of like preparation talk. It was just kind of, uh you know get approved and uh they give you instructions of how to get there and you just show up that day <laughs> other than that it was just kind of this black box that's kind of terrifying only because i remember how much guidance i needed when it came to me going to see you guys and even where we went and it, we didn't even we didn't go to peru and so the idea of being like i'm going to peru bye to a tribe in the middle of nowhere to take a psychedelic to just see how this works out. Just that, that sounds so daunting and no wonder people don't seek it out the way that we know it could be used and to heal because it's, that sounds frankly quite terrifying. And I'm somebody who's been well-traveled and that still sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely sounds crazy as well. <laughs> and even when I was doing it, I was like, all right, this is a crazy idea. Like, I've, I've done my fair share of crazy ideas, but I think that was... And so, like, going into I knew that. Um, and so I didn't... I, my, my family obviously knew I, I was, was going to South America and stuff, but it was, it was essentially, I was just like, hey, I'm struggling here. Um, I just need to travel a little bit, clear my head, and figure out what the next steps are. And so they understood that. Uh, they understood I just needed space, but I didn't tell anybody I was doing this big psychedelic because I didn't want like their baggage. And, right. you know, I don't want like, oh, are you going to go crazy? Because I, I thought a little bit maybe there was a risk that I was going to go crazy doing this too. But there's, you know, my int intuition guided me to go there. But again, that's from my own sort of lack of support in the system is really what I've been trying to establish around it just because. I think I would have hit the ground running a little bit more had I had like a little bit like what to expect and 
just kind of getting past the um you know the the rumors that fall around psychedelics so like there is this chance that if you're perfectly yeah. healthy you're going to become like a crazy person in a sane asylum or you know that there's this health you know all, all this stuff yeah. that comes around it that if you don't know your brain's just gonna tell you that especially when you go through a hard experience you're like oh what's going on here so I mean <laughs> it, 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 it was a little bit it was definitely daunting uh but for whatever reason just my my gut guided me there and I'm fortunate it did yeah, it seems like it was really a, a turning point for you. And it really wasn't that long ago when you think about it. I mean, you founded you founded Hero Cards in 2017. When when what year did you go to Peru? So the it was the end of 2016, early 2017. So I started the organization pretty shortly after after it. Um you went like because- balls deep. You jumped right in. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, I, I left my job. So, I mean, I had no idea too. It really just took a life of its own, but it was, I guess that's how profound it was of the moment. Cause I've, I've, I've done a lot of self-work myself, even before the military, you know, I had to struggle with like anxiety as a kid and um, the mental health dynamic has taken different shapes throughout my life. The The military just formed like the next chapter of it. So by that point, um, you know, you still are, we're, we're the best at, at ignoring our issues. But at that point, I still had done some work and kind of was familiar with, you know, some of the uh, bad processes of my brain. Right. And so when hit with the ayahuasca sledgehammer, I think it became pretty apparent that one, it didn't meet my expectations of, of this evil drug, but two, that there's something to it. There's something with a lot of depth that I didn't necessarily know how to explain, but I knew it wasn't um, anything I had been exposed to before. And then, you know, over the course of that week, so it was like a week long four ceremonies. Um, you know, one, it it challenged me and I didn't uh, like, it it was just the, one of the more difficult things I've ever had to do and just had no idea how to control. I was just fighting against it tooth and nail every single time and, you know, looking through the night, but then by the end, through the process and the actual, uh, ceremony taught me how to just calm the fuck down and, and mm-hmm. allow and accept. And um, after that, also some of these profound insights and just how my brain felt. So what I've told other people is on reflection, walking away from that. And this was this would be impossible to tell while I was in it just because you normalize whatever struggles you're going through. Right. Like, oh yeah, this is fine. This is normal. But then seeing how my brain felt afterwards and how my mind worked, it was the first time that my brain felt like one cohesive unit, like one thing that was part of the system that was working together for the betterment of myself. Whereas what it felt like before in comparison was almost this discordant uh, pieces of my brain fighting against each other that were, I don't know if trying to doom me or just wasn't working in a way. And so it was just like night and day how, even my my myself felt my 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 brain responded to the world and just to what I was going and that continued the 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 benefits I saw continued uh, long term which made me even more of a believer. Well, the thing is, is it's it doesn't it's hard to say even I wouldn't even say believer because you know it, it speaks for itself. She speaks for herself. You know, ayahuasca is not something. It's it, it's hard to explain to people, and I try really hard to 
to dial it down there is a goddamn fucking fruit fly in here and i swear to god guys sorry i keep like talking to you about something serious and i my eyes are wandering because i'm gonna kill this thing murder um the thing with with ayahuasca is i'm talking about ayahuasca as i'm like i'm gonna murder this thing like horrible murder person. nature <laughs> yeah i'm like oh sorry guys got it um no the thing is is i with ayahuasca when i when i say it i mean it because i mean it in this way of like once you've seen it, it's so hard to even argue the, the, the strength that it can give you and that she can give you and the, and the ability to, to look within yourself. And it's not that anybody needs to, um, to, to do Aya to find that within themselves, but sometimes we put up these barriers, I feel like. And I remember talking to you about this before and you just kind of, the first question you asked me was like, have you done psychedelics before? Like, do you know the depths that you are jumping into here? And then I'm like, yeah, I've, you know, I, you know, the mushrooms, da, 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 da. and he's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then you just like brush that off. Like it's no big deal because ayahuasca is something so much more than I would consider a psychedelic from a spiritual level because she doesn't just help you heal. She teaches you how to heal yourself within yourself just by aiding you with that. Yeah, absolutely. And even even with the, you know, all the psychedelics or even like mushrooms, especially the organic ones, um, it's a completely different experience how you approach it. And so I've, I've worked with a lot of people who uh, have some history or even a extensive history with, with mushrooms, but they've never done it with intention. And they've never done it in a, in a focused capacity and they're blown away by how different it can be. But then... And each one has their own personality and uh, IN itself is a very unique and intense. And that's the reason why we like it so much with veterans because it does tend to be a very poignant uh, one uh, where you go into there and even without psychedelic experience, it's right in front of you. Like this, these right. are your issues. This is, this is, this is the truth. This is what you're avoiding. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, to your point, like the, there is no, there is no believing it's just different aspects it's 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 nobody needs it but especially in the western world we are particularly dumb at emotional intelligence and understanding our trauma and that's just how we're trained we're trained uh in a very sort of logical um based sort of system so it's either like you're scientists or you're religious and then there's not like in between but even on both sides uh, from childhood, we're trained not to really express our emotions or emotions are expressions of weakness. Or if you're going through something that you just have to get over it or compartmentalize mm-hmm. it. And veterans are particularly good at that, which is why I think they're quite effective at their job because they're able to just like, okay, we'll store this here for later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you have all the this society, this Western society that they come, they're 30, 40 years old, and they've never dealt with a lot of these issues. They've just built shell. They built armor uh, to protect the rest of them. And then that's why you see people become so unhealthy, or these things manifest in different ways. Where there's anger, there's depression, because it's these unrelieved traumas that are just our body knows about them, our subconscious knows about them, but we've ourselves uh, to just sort of be disconnected from that. And so the psychedelic experience is 
for a lot of us, that that training, that reintegration of the rest of our brain and body to 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 bring that in and to process it. And that's why you see these veterans come in and they're just like they're so stiff. They're so, you can tell there's just so much in them. Like you can feel that, that energy. And then you uh, see them after this process. And it's like, they're 50 pounds lighter because of all this stuff they've been storing in for, for years and years. And when you say that, it's funny because a lot of people are um, it's, it's, it's like, well, you can't look that different that quickly. It's like, yes, you can. I remember because Griff took a picture of me the next day after the first ceremony, kind of just went around the kitchen and was just like being super creepy and just like taking pictures of everyone. But when you look back at that, it's like, you can, you can see it. You can see it in someone's eyes. You can see it in their expression. And when they smile, it's a completely, it's not a fake smile. You like, it's like a, here's every single laugh line I have that exists. Let me show you all of them because they've all been dormant for so long. And even with Botox, that shit comes through, trust. And so, you know, I think ayahuasca for, for you was a, was a turning point. And I go back to that because when you came home, I want to know really what the process was for you in going from I'm doing ayahuasca to I'm starting this incredible foundation, which you didn't know obviously no one can know the future. So you didn't, I don't think would have thought, I don't even know what you would have thought would happen here, but holy shit, heroic hearts is everywhere, man. Yes. I mean, I, I didn't come home. <laughs> I was just like, I have no idea what just happened to me. And so I, I continued <laughs> to kind of wander around. Um, I was, I was sort of in the mode of like something profound just happened to me, but I was just like letting it run its course. And I didn't have immediate instincts to you know, do anything or, or be associated with that. I was really like, okay, well, one of the lessons that actually came from my, my last ceremony was there's a lot of anxiety and tension because I just left my job and mm-hmm. I had some, um, I had some savings and stuff like that. So I knew I'd be fine for a little bit, but there was that sort of built up of like, Hey, I'm getting older now. I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. I just left this great, you know, on the sur- superficial side job. Uh, what do I do now? And like, what's my path? And I was just kind of driving myself crazy. So one of the last days, the profound message was, um, as cliche as it sounds, uh, but it was just sort of enjoy not knowing right now, because that's where the creativity comes. That's where the challenge comes from. If, if I knew exactly what my path was and each and every step on that path, that would lead right back to depression, just because there'd be no surprises, there'd be no challenge to myself. And especially my personality, my energy, I need that challenge. I need a healthy confrontation for me to use that energy. It's like, you know, it's like kids that are high energy. They don't have ADHD. They just need an outlet for that energy. They need different, yeah, they need different ways of of communicating and all that kind of stuff. It's just understanding what your, your levels are. Anyway, so I continued to travel and was just sort of enjoying it, but also letting things come to me, but more and more the sort of back of the brain of like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and just continuing well, it's so to intense. see. It's so intense yeah. and it's so heavy. How can you just, I had a guide after to be like integration, da, 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 da. And you're like, I'm going to travel the world and just feel this. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and the, but I, I had no, and so like fortunately I was just uh, kind of bumming around like uh, Peru and Colombia and just, you know, uh, 
relaxing for one, but also letting whatever just happened to me. And so that's kind of when the, 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 the curiosity started coming in of like, okay, well, this happened to me. And, you know, a lot of us who are veterans constantly have that sort of news feed of this guy's destroying his life. This guy is getting divorced. This guy, unfortunately, took his own life. It's a pretty, unfortunately, regular thing in, in our community. Uh, and so that was happening in the background. I knew people that I'd served with that were struggling. And I just went through this thing where Western medicine was telling me, you know, there was no real option for me. And so that's kind of when the gears started uh, slowly turning. So I started doing like more and more research just like on the side and saw there was some scientific precedent to it. There was some, you know, support to it. It wasn't just like this completely asinine sort of assertion. Mm -hmm. And then I started talking to some buddies like this was when I was like starting to approach my family and telling them that I did this crazy thing and talking to my buddies. I was like, hey, I just did this thing. Uh, and it seemed to have pretty profound impacts. Like, what do you think of that? Do you think that's crazy? Do you? And uh, I was surprised because across the board, uh, the veterans were very much like, hey, man, if you say it works, I trust you. And if, if it works, it works like people. And that's for people to decide, like, who is anybody to say? And I think that's a very sort of military mentality is like, like when you're on target or doing anything, like you have to use the tools at your disposal. You don't always have the luxury of, you know, everything. And so it's like, okay, well, if this is working and you're, you're on site, like why not have it as an option as long as there's the proper like support. And so that's started it. And I just started doing research. Okay. Like how do you little by little is, is like, okay, should I form an organization? Mm -hmm. I've never started a nonprofit. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't what know how to entail? fundraise. I still don't know how to fundraise. So that's <laughs> an ever learning process. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually it was just like one of those times. I don't really know why, but for whatever reason, I was like, okay, we're, we're doing this. Um, at the very least, I wanted to get the word out there and educate. I, didn't, I had no idea yeah. what it would lead to, but the moment I you know, uh, filed for, for a company in the U S and then the, the nonprofit and then built the website from that day forward, it really just took a, a life of its own. Uh, not saying I, I haven't worked, you know, nonstop at you it, but it really constantly for it. Let's, be... but, it, but it's, you know, you meet the right people at the right time. Like right. for instance, right. meeting you, you know, like it's, it's the right people come into your life when, when you're doing, when you're on that track, when you're on that trajectory and you, open yourself up for it to come then. And that was what happened immediately. The moment I started it, I just met the right person after the right person after the right person. And it, I want to know, I want to kind of, I'm curious and, and you don't have to answer this if it's too personal for you, but like, what did your parents say when you were like, Hey, remember that trip I went on that I didn't tell you much about? Like, what was their opinion about this? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, yeah of course. I'm, I'm okay. open book. Uh, so I told my I told my sister first, and uh, she was she was definitely open to it. Um, she was kind of surprised because it was sort of out of left field. Um, but I was I think she was expecting it because I was kind of talking to her about psychedelics before because I'd never done. It. I was like, oh, what do what do you know about this? And so I think she was a little suspicious. And um, so she was she was definitely interested. And both uh, fortunately, this wasn't the first. Uh, left turn in my life that I've taken so I think my family was pretty well prepared um because before I mean like my sister and I uh, have this running joke where we've always exchanged like the shock and awe to our parents and so it's it was yes. my turn then it's her turn and so like 
I was originally working on Wall Street in New York before I joined the military, and none of my family knew at all. So I was uh, graduate a degree. Go back. Nope. Er, stop. Move. Wait. So you went to high school. You went to college, university. Yeah. Yeah. What I went to study? university. Would you study economics? Okay, so that makes sense. And then, and then what? You're just like I'm gonna go work on Wall Street and told no one. Well, no. So, uh, so originally I did all that, and and yeah, I was working on on Wall Street, a small boutique investment bank. Uh, I was already in the process. I kind of always had an interest in the military. I just didn't know the timing and if I was actually going to do it. Uh, but I also graduated in '09 during the financial crisis, and so it was just sort of this focused lens on what greed and corruption can do to an economy and there's just nothing going on. I was like, okay, this seems like a sign from the universe. Like I love, I loved what I was doing, but it was mm -hmm. just like, okay, well I want to give back. And this clearly is not the environment that that's happening. There's kind of the opposite of it. And so I made that decision. I told my family then of like, Hey, I know I've never discussed this before, but I'm going to join the military and become a ranger. And so that's then like there's a like normal, like, like I'm going to join the military and then wait, I'm going to join the military. I'm making really great money. I've already got a university degree. I'm set up for life. I prefer to be yelled at, screamed at. And then while I'm at it, I'm going to do the best I can and try to become the elite of the elite. I'm not just going to join the military. I'm going to be the fucking best. They're like, sure. Normal behavior here. <laughs> It was it was a little bit more uh, emotional and dramatic than that, as you might imagine, especially for my 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 loving mother, uh, oh, who was absolutely uh, worried and, and scared. Uh, but that that just frames of like this was not the first <laughs> uh, deviation no. from the the straight and narrow path. So I think by the time and there's been a few other uh, course corrections along my life, and so I course think by the time. I've done, I, I did the jungle ayahuasca. I think they're like, yeah, that, 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 that fits. That, that sounds out. That, that, that's very uh, long your course. So, I mean, they're, they're a little bit surprised and I didn't really understand it, but um, you know, I think within that there was like trust just because like even right. the military, they thought it like, it was like, oh, this is crazy. What are you doing? You're throwing all this away. But then they also saw the immense benefit I got just the confidence and you know, how it made me sort of a stronger individual mentally, physically, and just holding myself. And so I think they, after the course of it, understood of like, okay, well, there is some sort of um, good instinct in driving these decisions, even if we don't understand them. And so we're kind right. of at that stage. And so it was like that early of like, hey, I did this. Uh, this is why I did it. And so they're like, okay, well, you survived. So good, good enough. I hate to see what your sister, like, I'd hate to see what the trade-offs are between you and your sister, because if this is how hard you're going in your decision-making process to your poor little parents, I would hate to see what her, like, to have to outbeat you, essentially, that's terrifying. Well, I mean, I think, I think we've, we've kind of settled down now. <laughs> okay, we've both, good. We've both re reached, like, the, the potential, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's, 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 a, it's brought our family closer. So we're, we're all close. And so, yeah, Thank by you. that time it, it was, it was, and just again, um, and as, as I'm sure you've seen the beauty of this process and what we often teach is that you don't necessarily need to evangelize or, or prostatize these psychedelics. It's just, if you live your life by, by being healed and, and by the, the knowledge that you gain, 
other people see that and other people will be um, drawn to you by that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I think there's a lot of necessarily bad representation of psychedelics because they're just like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. This is for everybody. Whereas I think it's that kind of like quiet sort of advocacy where if you are actually healed by something, then show it, you know, words are, words are pretty cheap. And if you're mm-hmm. advocating this and you're still getting drunk every night or what have you, then yeah, there's a problem. What good, yeah, what good did it do? And so a lot of people do that kind of bypassing. And so for me, I think they just saw where, you know, they, they knew, they saw the red flags themselves. They're really worried about, you know, how self-medicating with alcohol and all this other kind of stuff. So they knew there's a problem. They just didn't know how to help. Uh, and because nobody and knew how often, to help. That's often the issue, right? Is most people don't know how to help and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to suggest. And I talk about this a little bit when I got home. Like I remember calling my dad and telling him everything and then him crying and going, please never tell your mother any of what you just told me because she will break. But then my mom in return was like, I need to go to the base. I need to find out how do I help her? And there isn't a lot of answers because at the time, they're just, we, we don't like, we're just now kind of starting to understand the severity of what PTS and PTSD and those types of overseas traumas on top of, you know, coupled with anxiety and depression already, we've never really understood how to handle those people. And that's been the upcoming problem since war has been war. We've always had these different names for it you know, with the um, shell shock and those types of things, but we've never know how to cope and talk and help with it. So it's no wonder, like it, it, it makes sense when you say, you know, people don't know how to help. Your parents didn't know how to step in and help. They just, they wanted to, but they just didn't have the tools. And it's about, you know, ayahuasca is great because the advocacy work you're doing is about education in a big, big way. And I kind of yeah. want to touch on that if you if you can go into that because you guys have done, a fantastic job of not only educating the people that come and attend, but the the way you portray what you're doing to society through social media, through um, others that you work with, through the other nonprofits, you really make it a clear cut process and you make it understandable and digestible language for individuals who don't necessarily have a university degree. Like, like, like me. Well, I, I appreciate that. And that's, that's sort of the goal. I mean, so, I mean, how the, how the nonprofit started, like you said, it's, it's sort of the advocacy education and, you know, what I think we all know in the military or any other sort of subgroup is there's a way to approach different groups. And the military is, is the exact same sort of way of like, when you go into a group of military people, you absolutely know, you know, there's a way of talking, there's a way of joking, yeah. there's a way of holding themselves. There's, there's, there's t- issues that you know will be touchy or there's issues that you just avoid because you don't want to deal with people's dumb opinions. And so the same, like if you go to a group of researchers, you know, their conversation is going to be like most stuff that you don't know. And, you know, talking Latin phrases for drugs and, and <laughs> other stuff and, so it's, it's, it's all about how you approach it. And so, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that psychedelics, the word itself carries all sorts of baggage and stigma. And when I say that word or LSD or what have you, everybody has a picture in their mind. And more often than not, it's that 1970s hippie or that new age person. And that kind of goes counter to the military. And so like, if you approach the military and you 
hit all those stereotypes, then obviously they're going to um, discount what you have to say or anybody else. And so approaching part of it is just trying to be as straightforward as possible of, you know, the, but with respect to the cultures, with respect to the beliefs, uh, but just not adding any baggage of, of me trying to push anything and letting the person interpret it how they will. So they have that baseline of, of facts of like, okay, this is what it is. This is the belief system in the indigenous culture. This is why we think it might work. And this is how you sort of approach it. And, but it's also on you because it takes hard work. This is not magic. And so we just really try to make it that presentable and answer anybody's questions or apprehensions or stigmas, you know, and just hit them head on of like, okay, well, I heard this, that if you try it, you're going to go crazy. Like, okay, no, there's no real evidence for that. You know, if you have medical conditions then yeah, maybe it's dangerous, but that's the same with any other substance that you take. So just really hitting it straightforward as, um, you know, as kind of no bullshit as, as, as possible. And then in terms of the program, again, like a lot of what I was lacking, just a lot of people are, are nervous about traveling overseas. I was just in a conversation of people would be surprised because uh, they see these veterans deploying and stuff like that. A lot of the veterans we served, the last time they were on a plane was to Afghanistan or Iraq. You know, a lot of them right. aren't used to international travel unless in very specific contexts. Right. Um, and so that's uh, the whole program of from beginning to end. People feel supported. They feel like their answers are going to be uh, uh, addressed. And, you know, we provide financial grants. We provide coaching. We provide uh, any kind of support. And then also the, the places we use, we, we vet them. We make sure that they'll feel comfortable, safe, that they're not going to be, like, bombarded with things that they're not really into. Um, and just because this is already big work, like I said, a lot of these, a lot of the stuff we're addressing has been held for so many years that we want to make sure that they feel as comfortable as possible. Like no matter what, you're going to go in like nervous and apprehensive, but we want people to focus inwardly on their, on what they're processing, their trauma, their mental ability, and not have to worry about like, am I going to have to learn Spanish to catch a cab in this spot? Am I going to be picked up? at all at the airport, you know, how am I going to pay for this? Like, that's our job to make sure all that's not a major issue for people traveling to this. Well, because Peru is that there's a perception with Peru and it's this indigenous, um, complete culture shock for most Western people. And when you, the idea of going to the jungle, number one, where most things can eat you there without question, or uh, I mean, at least eat me because I'm small enough that that could happen. Now you, you'd be a little more of a fight. I'd be more of like a, she's already gone. We'll work on you. We're not done. Like the, the, the idea of Peru is there is a, it is a little bit terrifying. And even, even me who's traveled and done all of these things, it's, it's more of this, Hey, what happens if I'm in that country? How do I get out? What's the, you know, what's the ins and outs? What are the cops like? Are they, are they, you know, it's just, there's so many unknowns, but there's something that I, I found really interesting. Um, after doing, I uh, was, there was a documentary and somebody was like, you need to watch this documentary because it's the most accurate that they could portray. And I think it was the song that calls you home. Do you know what I'm speaking of with the, uh, is it the Shipibo tribe? Yeah, I, I don't know if I've watched it yet, uh, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a it's honestly a beautiful portrayal uh, of, of, of how 
um, a portrayal of ayahuasca. And what I found really fascinating was when they talk about this, one of the tribe leaders takes you into the forest and goes, this plant can cure cancer. This plant over here can do this. This plant over here can do this. They have a natural healing property in their entire, their backyard is everything. And when I see them saying things like this, and then you find out that Westerners come in and take that and then compound it and turn it in to medication when it really never needed to be medication, you know, never need to be synthesized anyway. We could just use it as is. It gives you this, you start to develop this different perspective of Peru. You start to develop this different perspective of these tribes and how they live. And I found myself longing to live there. I found myself going, oh, those are my people. They don't do shoes. Oh my God, we're best friends. How do I move there? But there are slowly starting to be these really, I would say, great representations of what Peru can be rather than this, it's the middle of the jungle, you'll get eaten by a jaguar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it just kind of goes into, you know, which is pretty common in history, there's always this, uh, whether it's racism or we're better than them or we're, we're the, the, the top of the, the hill. Um, and, you know, there is, and I'm not, I think it's kind of a balance. Like we, we can't have the utmost like hubris of like, we know everything. And because these are older cultures, they know nothing or they're just jungle medicine or what have you. But we can also respect, you know, what we, the advancements we have made, you know, there are great medications. There are even on the, the psychological side, those that have changed lives. But to mm-hmm. say that, you know, what's coming out of Pfizer is the be all end all and there's nothing to learn from ancient cultures or the jungle is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I mean, that's where they get a lot of these medications from is that they follow these experts, these, these, um, people who know the plants and, you know, maybe not all of them are uh, exactly like you, maybe this is not going to save your life, but there are. Yeah, but they have this like perception, like maybe their culture has taught them like from a young age, they're going through and they're like, this one will heal this, this, and this, and it'll have different properties. And it's not necessarily the plant, but it's the properties of the plant in combination, maybe with other things. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of lost knowledge. And you just look at the Amazon too, that's sort of the tragedy of losing a lot of it is there's just so many undocumented plants and not not knowledge how to use it. But I mean, we're also coming into a time where I think this is becoming more in our face where we had sort of this this view of like we knew like if we didn't know it, nobody else knew it. But then you're seeing things like meditation and yoga and even acupuncture, which again, at, at its uh, at the when it first started coming into the U.S. or Western world, it was like again, that's a hippie thing. Like that's just like fancy exercise. Like there's nothing there. <laughs> but now exercise. it's 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 becoming even more. It's becoming actually one scientifically backed, but used by established institutions you know military is training yoga and and meditation and using it acupuncture so it's a lot of these old traditions this old knowledge that are coming back and showing that there is actual reason behind it again maybe not a hundred percent but we have to sort of balance of what we think we know with with uh, sort of respect for maybe these these cultures that have evolved these processes over thousands of years, they might be onto something as well. So I think 
hopefully we come into a new era where there's that sort of humility and balance of, of these different knowledges and being open to it. And I think the internet, you know, it's, it's making some things really bad, but I think it is at least if you have a key knowledge for information, it's allowing that and sharing resources. Which is really nice to see because it, the way that the world is starting to look at psychedelics, other types of healing modalities, the way that they're starting to understand them or try to understand them is a beautiful thing considering a, a lot of these things, DMT, psilocybin, all of these major um, psychedelics, they were on the controlled substance list and still are. And for, for a lack of uneducated individuals who made piss poor decisions and put us 50 years behind in science. So it's nice to see it actually moving forward in a way that is being done properly and taken seriously. I mean, how many universities now, do you know how many years are studying psilocybin and different types of psychedelics? I mean, there's gotta be at least a handful now. Yeah, I mean, there's more There's more every day. And yeah, I mean, people who are a little bit knowledgeable know in the 50s, 60s, they were, they were actually studying this and it was because of fear tactics, uh, control by the government, uh, a lot of racist motivations. It all kind of put these substances in terms of, oh, we can't control the population because of these drugs. And so let's ban them. And that's had a pretty detrimental effect, not only on mental health, but just in terms of the drug war and the, you know, what, what that's caused in terms of ripple effects that we'll be feeling for quite a while. But then you also consider like for the last 60 or so years, people have been denied valuable mental health knowledge, even in the past 20 years with the global war on terrorism, you know, the, the VA in the U S has been abysmal at addressing PTSD and suicide rates where, you know, this, the substance MDMA, which was already known to be beneficial is only now reemerging because it's finally pushed past, you know, some of the regulations and through crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, uh, uh, be be accepted and shown to have tremendous results in it. But yeah, the, in terms of the universities, uh, it's 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 huge. And in, in the UK, there's um, the prominent one is Imperial College of London. King's College is is looking into it. A few other ones. In the U.S., some of the prominent ones, Stanford's looked into it, Harvard's looking into it. We are working with the University of Miami, or University of Georgia, University of Colorado Boulder, Johns Hopkins, which is one of the foremost uh, medical um, ones, the NYU. So across the board, everybody's kind of finally seeing the writing on the wall that hey, there is something to these other than you know just having a good time at a concert. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it, it comes down to like how it's used and why it's used and, 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 and the extent it's being used. So like you see things now, um, at least in Canada, because you've got, you know, you've got Heroic Hearts UK, you've got Heroic Hearts in the US, and I know you are working on getting, you know, Heroic Hearts to Canada. And so I know that's kind of going that way. And you've got, you've got these people looking at it very seriously now, and not just looking at things like cannabis, which the United States, you guys are the most imprisoned individuals in the world over things like cannabis, for God's sakes, over things that I can carry around in my pocket in Canada, like it's like it's nothing. And you guys are continuously putting individuals in prison to this day for it, which is fucking mind boggling. But then you have things like psilocybin, which 
can be grown safely and from the ground and doesn't harm anybody. And it can be used in multiple different ways. It can be used in treatment settings, can be used in microdosing settings. It can be used in shamanistic settings. There are tons of different ways. And it's, it's nice to see the universities finally taking a look at that. What I'm curious about is the legislation side of how this is all moving forward. And if you know much or what you know, if you can tell the listeners kind of what's developing, what's going on, because the fact of the matter is, Jesse, at least in Canada, there is no way you're getting any of this information on the news. You're not getting conversations about psilocybin and ayahuasca from global news and CTV. You're getting fear mongering and that is it across the board. And that is the way it will stay because that's where the dollars you know, come from. People don't wanna hear about the 30 year old who had their life saved from fucking magic mushrooms because they flash back to the seventies when they were partying and doing anti-Vietnam war things. They can't wrap their brain around somebody being healed from something that a pharmaceutical company didn't shove down their throat. So what's happening from a legislation standpoint in the U S that you know of that you can share? Well, if it was on the nightly news, it'd be probably one of the most boring, like misinformed segments <laughs> of just people right? who have cringe reactions like, oh, magic mushrooms, oh. party drugs. Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. I mean, um, yeah, to your point, we we have just because of veteran voice, you know, there's different ways of approaching it, but veterans around the world are suffering. So we've been trying to be sort of a platform for them to share their voice. And in Canada, we put in our paperwork and just waiting for that to, to push forward to better represent vets who, who are interested in these topics. So in the U.S., I mean, you're exactly right. Unfortunately, especially through the VA, our, we're, we're, we're far behind. Um, our veterans to the VA won't get reimbursed for cannabis. The, their physicians can't even talk about it, really. So, you know, they're able to access it in a lot of states, but then there's no guidance on how to use it therapeutically or responsibly. And so they're just kind of left in this bad, like the worst situation. The Canadian VA also does a much better job at uh, reimbursing and providing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is another huge uh, benefit for, for PTSD and depression, which, the, again, the USVA has been lagging behind. Um, the, the legislation is moving forward. I mean, you can see, you know, there's still been very little research on cannabis and, you know, legalization is becoming a state-by-state -state thing. So psychedelics are progressing the same sort of way. So, I mean, uh, we have like smaller spots like Washington, D.C., some towns in Massachusetts and um, uh, Maryland. Uh, one of the biggest ones was Oregon, which will actually in a year and a half uh, because of Measure 109, you'll actually people, residents of Oregon will be able to go to clinics and therapists will be able to work with them through psilocybin, or they'll be able to do it in communal settings, like uh, circles with uh, psilocybin, which is pretty spectacular. So they're they're dealing with the laws right now. Uh, Heroic Hearts is currently co-sponsoring a bill in California, SB 519, which will decriminalize it and allow for communal access, so kind of a similar, but a little bit different of, of uh, psychedelics across the board. Uh, Texas just passed uh, pretty groundbreaking legislation, yeah, and Texas, Texas is very... Very conservative state. And so that one's more of a research bill, but still a great step forward where mm -hmm. it's pushing the VA to study these things. And then there's some federal uh, movement as well. And in Canada, which I'm sure most of your audience is, is, is interested in, uh, a, an organization that, we, that we're working with, we're collaborating with called Theracil uh, last year, around this time, it's almost a one year anniversary, was able to get 
compassionate access of psilocybin to end of life uh, patients. So patients with with some sort of terminal disease are able to take, if they apply uh, psilocybin uh, to help them relieve the stress and anxiety of, of, of death and, and life. And uh, so we're working with them this year to expand that to veterans. And so I know it's Veterans Week in, in Canada. So we're gonna be doing a big push of informing and, and getting voices. Uh, so currently, you know, veterans are allowed or some veterans can apply for uh, section, I think it's 56, 56. section 56 exemption, uh, which allows on an individual case, if, if nothing else has helped their PTSD or, or war trauma, then potentially they could get uh, access to psilocybin to help out with that, which is, you know, anecdotally and growing evidence showing to be extremely effective for that. Uh, but, you know, as governments do, they're, they're dragging their ass and, and not responding. And so uh, there's well, going to be more more pushes to, to change that. So, I mean, it is, it is happening in Canada. Canada is, I think, going to be, you know, sort of leading the way on a lot of this. There's already a lot of companies in Canada that are pushing for this. So I think the, you know, with Theracil, with uh, Spencer's been doing some great work, really being that voice. So we're just trying to work with, with him and other organizations to, to expand access for veterans. So they get the, the treatment they deserve. It's fascinating to hear you talk about the U.S. versus Canada because, as you say, it's it's Veterans Week in Canada. Guess how many people know that? Guess how many vets know that? Guess who I had to learn it from? Therosol. When? Last week. I've been a vet for 10 years, Jesse. <laughs> we don't talk about it up here. Veterans are not acknowledged up here. And just so you're aware, 86% of our listeners are American, but that's okay. So well, there, we have, there you go. yeah. Yeah, Canada doesn't give a shit. So, you know, Canada is a great place for many, many a thing, but they are um, uh, the uh, society full of people who are one way or the other. They're either very pro-veteran, pro-military, or they're absolutely intolerant of the conversation to do with veterans. And when it comes to a veteran or a society finding out in which they're slowly starting to find out, and I feel like it's because I've opened my big fat mouth, and when you say to someone, as you're smoking your joint at night, thank you for your taxpayer dollars. And they go, sorry, what now? And you go, well, this is how it works in the VA in Canada. If your doctor can get you approved, they send a piece of paper and then the tax dollars pay for my weed. That's how that conversation goes. So it's really an interesting way to see how Canada and Canadians are adjusting to this because legitimately most of them don't even realize that their tax dollars go to fund cannabis companies that then turn and fund their veterans. I think in Canada, we are worth, I think Aaron knows Aaron from uh, back East. He knows the exact number that veterans, an individual veteran is worth to a cannabis company. So for me, on example, I'm worth $1,500 a month to Afria. That's how much I'm worth as a person. And you can bet your sweet ass that every 30 days, if I don't make that order, they are calling me to be like, how do I help? Do you need me to do it for you? Do you need me to just make your choice for you? Because cannabis is finally being used the way it should have always been used. And that is to heal and help individuals. And so to see them finally fund that is great. It's really on the public sector in Canada with people like Spencer who are making the charge for psilocybin and that, that section 56 and that right to 
to have psilocybin essentially without being arrested and, and, and things like that. And so there are few and far between, but the ones that are actually making the headway, those are going to be the forefront for Canada, like Spencer and Therosil. They're going to be the ones that take this over the line. It's not going to be these other nonprofits, unfortunately, because these other nonprofits are afraid of making noise and they're afraid of Trudeau getting angry at them and having their legislation, you know, they're just not, they're not having it. And so it's fascinating to watch how you say that, well, Canada is at the forefront of this, but then when you're in Canada and you see it and you talk to the doctors involved and you talk to the system and you talk to the people, you kind of go, no, this is, we're not, we're not there, man. <laughs> like I, we're getting there, but we're not, we're not there. And in the States, I'm, I, I have a little more hope because when you see people like Harvard and Stanford putting their name on the line to look at different psychedelics and the way that they're looking at it, I feel a little more hopeful. Don't get me wrong, UBC, McGill, some of the best universities in the world we have in Canada, but nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants the colleges to be mad. Nobody wants the audit to be brought as to why they're prescribing these things because it puts their license on the line. It just yeah. does. It puts a target and a bullseye on your back. Why are you prescribing magic mushrooms over antipsychotics and antidepressants? You need to hit a quota here. And so the States is a fascinating thing for me because you guys have a really different dynamic from a state to state basis that, you know, you guys in your federal laws and your cannabis allowing in one state to a not to another state, isn't it? When you go to Chicago, is Chicago still cannabis still illegal? Uh, I'm not sure Chicago, but I wouldn't be surprised. I remember going down there about right before COVID for a trade show, and being like, a guy on the like beside me on the plane was like, "Don't like," I was like, "Hey, do you know where I can get cannabis in, in Chicago?" And he's like, "Do you want to do like two to four years in prison?" And I was like, I'm sorry, because I had no idea when I hear that California legalized and I hear that all these other states are like, well, no, this is this is not federal. This is not federal. So I'm a little nervous and hesitant. And cautiously hopeful that each state is going to start legalizing, which was the state that just decriminalized. Which one was that? Uh, that was the Oregon one, that was the bigger one. Uh, there's been like towns that have decriminalized like Denver and Oakland and DC, uh, but Oregon was the, the big um, flagship for that. So my question for you next is, what do you see happening in the next 12 months? Because I feel like we all have a lot, well, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands, especially the government right now, because they don't know what the fuck to do with themselves because they can just tell anybody and put any rule in law because we're under a state of emergency still and it can just fly by the seat of their pants. What do you see happening if you could predict in the next 12 months? What do you what are you hopeful is going to happen in Canada and the US and the UK? Yeah, so it is, it is actually getting there and there's more and more pressure on the system because no matter what, you know, the governments and politicians always try to use ignore until they can't anymore. And so psychedelics has become such a prominent issue. And with all these measures, it's really becoming sort of a thing that they can't ignore anymore. Otherwise, it's going to be much messier uh, afterwards. And so, I mean, we're really hopeful with California. That would be a big win in terms of passing that decriminalization. So a few uh, uh, things to go through with that. And then, you know, there might, I know there's other 
areas that are looking for it. So in the next 12 months, I feel like a few more states will try to follow suit. Uh, another big one is Florida. I know is looking at a research bill. And then there's some great people doing federal. So the big push there would be pushing for funding for psychedelics. And that's how the federal government's probably going to work is kind of more on funding the clinical trials so that they can kind of get around this, 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 this sort of impediment of like, oh, okay, so now the science says it in five years. Um, so that's kind of how it's going to do. And then the, the states, who knows if there's, there, you know, sometimes there's this dam break situation where, where the floodwaters come in and then things have to change quickly. I don't expect Biden. I don't expect the next president to, to do anything. But hopefully, you know, little by little, at least it, it unties our hands as heroic hearts that we can be on the ground level helping people. And that's all we care about. I don't really, you know, care about what's happened up there. Like we have a situation right now, like vets are dying right now. And so our sort of thing is like, just get out of our way. If you're not going to help us, then stop preventing us from helping vets. And so for, for us, our systems, we're trying to build infrastructure where there's not infrastructure. And we're just working with other organizations of like, okay, well, the VA is not going to help us. What's our intake process? How do we track mm -hmm. this data? How do we set people up for success? Um, and how do we push these, the local governments to not get in our way when we're doing this? So a little by little there, Canada, I'm very hopeful with the, the access. You know, even if you, as you say, maybe there is different, might be behind, but at least from the U.S. standpoint, that's just another talking point I can say of like, mm -hmm. hey, the Canadians are taking care of their vets in this and this way. Come on, U.S., like we're supposed to be the patriotic one. Like what's going yeah, like, on? Yeah, get it together. You know? We barely even know we have a military. Like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> why, why are you guys taking notes from us right now? What's wrong with you? So it's like any, it's any war, you know, there's many different ways to, to approach it, to tack, uh, tackle it, and then just kind of all push forward. But fortunately, within this movement, there's just a lot of wonderful people, intelligent people. Uh, I think, I think your listeners would be surprised by the caliber of those that are supporting this, like even on our team, just, you know, mm -hmm. incredibly intelligent researchers, doctors, physicians, therapists, um, lobbyists, and the good, good frame of it <laughs> not necessarily okay. not the evil obvious but like Ooh, those, all these ones. people that are very intelligent professional marketers that are pushing this forward not just like the stereotypical like i said 1970s hippie person there's a lot of people that have been personally affected or seen loved ones personally affected to the point where you just can't ignore it well that's it it's 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 getting to the point where it's so in your face and we've allowed We've allowed the governments to kind of run amok with veterans affairs in Canada and the U.S. And we've allowed them and given them permission by not not changing anything to it. We've allowed them to put the veterans crisis hotline, suicide hotline and send you to voicemail. We've allowed this behavior to exist. And now that the war is, I guess, over, I guess we just fucked off. So, you know, um, now that we have gotten to that point it's about time we start looking after our people. It's, it's in their face. They can't hide from it now. The stats are too high. The suicides are too high. The homelessness is too high. It is what I'm finding most fascinating right now, Jesse, and I think this is going to, yeah, I think this sentiment is really being echoed across the board and I'm hearing it, which is, which is great because it's, it's not that there's this vigilantism. There's this, you're going to push veterans to a point. And when you don't help us, you will start running scared when we start helping ourselves and we start, we all start to talk and we all start to formulate because as soon as that happens, you can't stop us. 
you, you can't. You're the ones who sent us to war. We're really good at outflanking people. We're really good at dropping things out of the sky. And if that means we will sit there and go to every university and we will litter you with information and education and peer reviewed APA or like um, uh, APA um, uh, research and, and top doctors and you're, you're fucking yourselves by not listening to us now. Because if you don't now, it will get to a point where we'll do it ourselves we'll turn around and say, you held our hands and tied them and we'll prove it. And then we'll come after you guys for it because there needs to be accountability on some level here. There needs to be individuals that are single because there are, there are individuals that are single-handedly stopping bills from going through. And there are people who are single-handedly stepping in the way and lobbying for the opposite of what our veterans need. And what our vets need isn't very much. We need support. We need guidance and we need permission to fucking move forward and heal ourselves because you have done such a piss poor job up to this point. And that's where Heroic Hearts is really stepping in and really taking that baton and running with it. And not a lot of people are doing this um, from a global standpoint. When I see the vets that are doing it, these aren't, these aren't pogues. No offense to the pogues. Like I feel for you, I got you, it's cool. But these are special operators who like Griff always said, go in at night, drive really fucking fast, and they're never hurt very often because they're really good at what they do. You're giving people an opportunity here, then these vets are going to take it. And I would be very terrified to see what happens when you break through legislation and stand up and finally start getting the funding you need to run with this the way we know you could. Every single vet is going to benefit from it. And I think it's not just vets that you're setting the precedent for here, right? You guys are setting the precedent for society in general by giving end-of-life support, by giving end-of-life treatments and options so that people aren't so terrified if they get a terminal illness. My question for you now is really, do you know much about what goes on in the European, so like um, Amsterdam and those types of places? They have a lot of end-of-life support over there. Is there anything that you guys are taking from what they've learned and from how they've gotten things pushed through and, and implementing it here? Yeah, absolutely. And well, well said on, on all that. And just want to add, you know, politicians, especially those in the U.S., I think just need to understand that, you know, the cost of war is not just the bombs, the bullets, the guns. It's also the aftercare and cleaning up the mess. And we're in this situation where after 20 years of war, the bill is coming due very soon. And it's their obligation, it's their responsibility to cover these costs, whether that is paying for people to get cannabis or psychedelics, because that's actually effective. Um, and so that's all part of the cost of war. We can't, now that we're out of Afghanistan, doesn't mean like we're all set. There's there's the rest of the bill that needs to be paid. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's, that, that is why, um, the end of life and the veteran story, honestly, has been one of some of the most effective stories. So we've just found it very effective, the veteran story in California. So I think especially in the U.S. where it is uh, very patriotic, especially in conservative, the veteran seems to be a very good spot. Um, they've, they've done a lot of pushing with uh, end of life. So I know the U.K. is looking at uh, doing some end of life cases to get more more access. Um I think you, Europe's a little bit more ahead of us in terms of being compassionate about, you know, terminal people. The U.S. still has that deep-seated sort of religious restriction that, that you know, 
gets that that takes over people's rights in, a, in an odd way. So I mean, the yeah, all all these are being discussed, and strategies are are being developed in each state or in each country that is happening. Unfortunately, uh, what people don't see through these conversations behind the scenes, there's all these people that are getting together and talking about it. You know, we'll, we'll be on calls with uh, big groups in the UK or people all around the US and, you know, people who are funders, who are doctors, who are parts of corporations. And they'll talk to, you know, an organization called MAPS is in, uh, yes. you know, Israel and, and, and the UK and uh, spreading it to, to all these different places. So these conversations are happening. I mean, it's all a, a cumulative effort of like, okay, what's the best strategy? Um, and there's tremendous amounts for whatever legislation you see, there's months and months, if not years of of weekly conversations about how to best approach it and then adjusting to it. So what is, what's the next step? So what are you guys looking at? Because something I wanted to point out about heroic arts that I found really fascinating is after you go and you do ceremonies with heroic hearts, the, not only the integration process that you put in is really beautiful is you actually put out surveys before and after, and you have your vets and those individuals that are with you to fill these out. So you have data points. And I think that's really great. So my, my next real thing for, you know, for you is what is the next steps? How do people who are learning about this, because this is something I'm running into. And I think I've shared this with you privately is we're getting bombarded with people now after I spoke about it publicly about Aya going, how do I, where do I, what, do, how? Like th there is, th a lot of people don't have a clue. They're hearing about it for the first time. So what are the steps people can take to not only help heroic hearts, but to help the legislation change, to, to make change and make noise on their own? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, the first, the easiest step is just, you know, visit our website and our social media. We, we try to do our best to inform people on those, whether it's about psychedelics or what initiatives are happening. And so like just updates in, in different areas. So for instance, what's happening in Canada, we'll be putting out social media posts about, okay, this is happening, come attend this, support this, uh, or just follow along. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's an ever evolving process. It's, it's a, a big task, but we're, we have a great team that, that's trying to tackle it. So for people, you know, the veterans that are interested in pursuing this, they can go to our website, heroicheartsproject.org, and then there's a veteran application, uh, and then they can apply for that. And then when we have the ability and, and uh, when we're organizing retreats, we send out a um, what, whatever we're organizing to the wait list, and then we start vetting and going through the process. Um, so just because you're, we have a long wait list, but just because you're applying now, oftentimes people get in last minute slots. So don't despair over that. Uh, we have an ambassador program. So people who are just looking to get involved, they can also find that application on our website, uh, whether that's kind of more of uh, the, the initiatives, the state initiatives or help out with uh, supporting veterans. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, there's, there's ways of contacting us. We do our best to respond to everybody in, in a timely manner. Um, there's always ways of helping or just staying informed. I think staying informed as with anything is the first step and understanding and then figuring out, you know, if you have the expertise or, or just desire and energy to, to help out, then we're always looking for, for more support. You know, it's not just a heroic hearts thing. It's the more we work together with other, other people and other, um, 
organizations that can help us advance this. And that's also in terms of the, the care of veterans. Like we are just one piece of the puzzle. Psychedelics are, are phenomenal in terms of getting people past trauma, but we are always working with other orgs. To, okay, how do we support? How do we keep people on the right track when they are having a really bad day? Where's that peer support coming from? So uh, just very open to, it's, it's an ever emerging uh, structure that, that really needs a lot of great people to push it forward at this stage. And it seems like you're getting that. You're getting that backing on, on a, you know, it, it, it's coming in, It's whether it's coming in, you know, slowly or, or in overabundance, it's coming in. And, and, and that's all that really matters is that people are, are realizing what it is that you're doing and seeing it for what it is and giving it that opportunity to breathe and giving it that opportunity to have light of day. And, and, and you really do a great job of um, breaking that stigma and, 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 and I know that like firsthand because I do know like when I first told my in-laws and my family I was going to do ayahuasca, their reaction was, what the fuck is ayahuasca, man? Like what, what words are you saying? Like, where are you going? Like, what is happening? And I said, I, I don't know much, but I know I need to go. And it's, it's, it's that simple when people feel like they are at their end of the rope, you give them a place to go and you give them not only a place to go, you give them a community, Jesse. And I think that's something that's really important to acknowledge. And I want to touch on that because the community you're growing within Heroic Arts is not this like, oh, I'm here for you and then see you later. It is something that's truly integrated. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that integration side and, and why it works and how it's important. Cause I think that's really valuable for people to understand that this isn't like a three days, this isn't a party, this isn't a retreat. This isn't a, we're gonna go swim with dolphins. This is, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you and make you see your deepest, darkest things. And then you're gonna vomit all night and be exhausted. So can you please explain the steps afterwards that people take so that they can make this a real part of their life? Absolutely. And the steps actually start beforehand. Um, and for those who have heard a little bit psychedelics, integration has come, become a little bit of a buzzword and people often say it without really knowing what it means because it can be a little bit like loose, but through our program and what we're, again, it's a constantly evolving sort of thing. How do we do this better? But at the very least, um, as I kind of alluded to, the psychedelic itself is a tool. It's a very powerful tool and can really sort of accelerate, augment therapy or even reach spots that normal traditional therapy can't really, generally doesn't hit. Um, and so through all that, it can reveal a lot of, you know, knowledge about yourself, um, help you get past neg uh, negative patterns, um, just be a very honest reflection and also give you tools of how to sort of zoom out on your life and, and move forward. But the individual still has to one, prepare themselves going into this uh, so the more discipline, the more you follow sort of this, this course that we have and inward trajectory, the more you're going to get out of it. But then the afterwards, that integration phase is how do you implement the processes or, or the, the insights that you got from uh, ayahuasca? How do you bring that into your life? How do you actually improve your life? You know, if you go through this whole life changing process and then you don't do shit, you just sit on your couch with Doritos or you go right back to your old habits. You go back to your party group and you go, you know, do blow at the bar with and just drink your ass off. 
obviously it's not going to stick. Obviously you're probably going to go back down a negative path. And so it's hard because we are addicted just as much as we are to substances, to these negative patterns in our life or these negative interactions, and they can be very hard to break ourselves from. So that's where community and that's where at least having the knowledge about uh, the hard work that will come can really help people set them up for success. Um, And so what we always try to develop, and that's through coaching, that's through these communications. And it's okay if people, you know, if if bad, they have bad feelings or depression comes back, it's how you uh, interact with it and how it controls your life or how it no longer controls your life versus how it did control your life. And so at the end of the day, after the psychedelic, there's, there's this great period where you, you, you feel it, you feel like you, you, the world's your oyster and you have to utilize that to start making good habits. Good habits are the key because at first they might be tedious and you might drag your ass through it, but it's like going to the gym. When you first get back to the gym, it's hard. You, you don't want to go, but after a while it becomes routine. And after a while, it just becomes something you don't skip. You don't allow yourself to skip. And so if that's the same with healthy habits, whether it's meditation, whether it's journaling, whether it's just thinking, uh, you know, um, positive thoughts through the day, there's all sorts of different metrics. So it's finding the right tools for the right people, but building those habits and holding people accountable. And so we're trying as we send more vets to build this community because it really just takes other veterans to hold us accountable. Even me doing this work, you know, I find myself like, convincing myself I'm, I'm still on the good path but then you know falling <laughs> off here or there you know not going to the gym for a little bit or a week I'll just have too many too many like drinks or something like that and so we we all need to hold each other accountable but we need to build the systems that allows that to where we're rebuilding the veteran community in this in this supportive healing community which I think has been um, devastated because of this mental health but now there's this opportunity to have it reemerge and grow and into something that's, that's, that's amazing that, that can really save a lot of lives. Do you see yourselves ever moving and having an arm of heroic hearts as a civilian, like having a civilian arm? The only reason I ask, and I know like focus is key in getting things done. So I understand. The only reason I ask is because with what society is now experiencing, Society is being tested for the very first time and we're finding how soft people are and we're finding how affected they are being by the, the trauma of the world and the, the healing that could be given to society in general. Is there either you that you have ideas of expanding into civilian world as well or are there other corporations or organizations or nonprofits you know of that do that work for civilians, for those civilians that are listening? Uh, I don't really know too many. There's not too many other organizations like what we're doing uh, on the the ground level. Um, And I don't know if we'll necessarily expand into civilian, but we'd be happy to like partner or at least share some knowledge. I mean, I, I could see us if we had the financial means to help first responders or like-minded individuals um you know that's that's sort of an easy sort of thing but at the end of the day we do want to keep group cohesion we want to continue to build our community but that doesn't mean we can't help other communities as well and so we're already working with other organizations that hit different sides of it so a, a buddy's wife is starting an organization to help gold star mothers gold star wives and veteran spouses uh, so that, you know, if the veteran comes home healed, 
the wife isn't like, well, what about all this bullshit I've been going through for the past exactly. 10 years, you know? Like and secondary so the, PTS and all of those yeah, things exactly. that come with that. It's a real thing. Yeah. And so like, she's doing a great job there. So working with her, so where we can focus on what we're good at and, you know, have a collaborative effort. Um, I mean, we, we, at some points we do, uh, we run these executive retreats as, as sort of a fundraising um, effort where we bring in executives or traders or athletes or what have you kind of similar sort of mm -hmm. high intensity people uh, and bring them in with veterans and put them through the same sort of experience. So, you know, they all kind of come from the same sort of energy, just different trajectories in their life. And so bringing them there where they can all kind of heal, but then also uh, help us fund other veteran retreats. We've, we've worked with that a little bit, um, but I'm sure there will be civilian things emerging. And um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we, what we learn from uh, the veterans we work with, I think can help inform those groups. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, I want to acknowledge that. And I love that you do have that focus because it takes that type of focus to get real change done. And you guys have done a great job of um, really by keeping it in that group. I do have to tell you coming down and doing what I did, I was terrified, not because of Aya, because it would be my first time sitting in a group of military again, in a group of men who I was terrified I would be judged. I would be terrified that I would be looked at for being the odd duck in the room, which we all know I totally was, and that's okay, because now I, I'm fine with that. But you got to understand there's so much value in keeping community community, and it's not that we're trying to exclude, but when you don't have to gray man it, and you can just say the deepest, darkest, most aggressive things and no one looks at you and goes, I need my safe space. It makes it that much easier to heal because you feel safe and you feel safe in a way that's not that cheesy. Somebody hurt my feelings. You feel safe in the way that you can talk about some horrific shit and not be judged. And I've never had a group of friends that like I've had until this group I got to sit with. I felt 100% welcome, 100% safe, 100% comfortable. And it made me realize that I have people outside of Aya, outside of the ceremony that I will count on for the rest of my life because of one weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no matter what, our, our service makes us unique individuals, whether we started off that way or the military created it, but probably a combination and, you know, one of, one of the things I think that adds to veterans' trauma or, or hardship at, in the civilian world is we come from this world of purpose. We come from this world of close-knit relationships where your life is literally in the hands of others and you're in these extreme situations. And when we go into the civilian world, a lot of that is absolutely lacking. Um, and we, it, it can be hard to find those same sort of bonds. And so... It is a beautiful thing when a lot of those veterans come together and it's possibly the first time they've been in a group of military since their time in. And, you know, they, they, they kick off like it was old times, even if they don't know each other, there's that commonality there. And then you reform these strong bonds through the challenges of ayahuasca or through the challenges and sort of rebirth of this process. And so it does create these very intense, long lasting relationships, which is beautiful. And so, it's all, you know, no matter what, we are communal people, we are tribal people, and we don't want to use the tribalism in a bad way, which is often what happens, 
but mental health and, and belonging relies on these smaller groups. It relies on these people that we can, like you said, really reveal ourselves and, and find support there. And so I think we need to emphasize that more in a healthy, responsible way that's not attacking or judging other groups, but in a supportive way that is, you know, making sure there is that accountability that people are looking after each other uh, as long as it takes. Well, I mean, as long as people are able to do it. It's a, it's an incredible thing. And I got to tell you, I, I can't wait. I cannot wait to go sit in ceremony again because the opportunity and the honor was to, to see what I saw and be given the tools I was given. It felt like a decade of therapy in three in in in, in one you know three day session. It it felt like I had gone further in 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 than I had ever gone in traditional therapy and medication for for a decade, which which is insane to actually think and say. But if you allow yourself and you open yourself up and you just walk in with an open mind, there it's. It's hard to describe because it's tantamount to fucking magic. It is this weird, it's so hard to describe because it is honestly one of the most um, effective changes I've ever made in my entire life. And something you guys always said was like, if this is something you find that that's passionate, like you said, show us in action, not words. And I'll always continue to show in actions, but I will always scream at the top of my lungs because... <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to stop because I remember them being like, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Just goes out. And I'm like, fuck you. The world needs this. It, it works. She works. She is, she is beautiful and healing and welcoming and loving. And she gives you everything you need to be the person that you can be. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about her with love and respect. And I got to tell you, and I don't know if this is something you've ever experienced or anyone who's listening. When I hear someone talking negatively about ayahuasca, I get violently angry and fiercely <laughs> protective as if she's my own mother. <laughs> I don't know if that's part of the lesson, Kelsey. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But it's like this. How could anyone ever? talk negatively about something that is so healing and helping and just beautiful. Just, it's, it's, it's honestly, Jesse, it's, uh, it's been, it's been nothing but an honor. And then when I, when I really put two and two together, I really think you were put in my path for a reason. When I put those names together and I was like, motherfucker, I got it. I got it. I get it, Chris. I get it. It all makes sense. You put another gould in my way. I get it. I know what this is for. I got you. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, man. And you know that, and I'll never stop telling you, you're going to be so annoyed with me by the time we get like 92, you're going to be like, do you remember how you never shut the fuck up about it? I'm like, yeah, always. Um, but Jesse, look, can you please tell everyone where to find you guys? Can you tell everyone everything they can do anything they can do whether it's donate to hold events be ambassadors it's it's basically heroichearts.com uh .org .org correction yeah so yeah i mean uh and yeah thanks for the kind words and i would i'll never get uh tired of it and uh keep keep shouting the word you're you're doing an amazing job yourself in life and and being an ambassador and and you know living it to its truest and representing all of this uh, so I appreciate you as well. 
Uh, but yeah, heroicheartsproject.org is the website. We're on all major social media. So just type in that. Um, and that the website, there's a veteran application. There's the ambassador application. If you can't find it, you can just email us on there. Um, and then, yeah, so we're a nonprofit. So uh, haven't established a nonprofit in Canada yet, but for those in the U.S. that are looking to support veterans, the money uh, as much as possible uh, still to this day goes directly. So if you donate, that is immediately going to help a veteran on our wait list. So we have like 700 vets on our wait list at this point. So we need more funds. We need more donations to help uh, these people that are asking us for their help. So if you donate, it goes directly there. Our, our overhead costs, we cover with grants and we keep super low to make sure that this is a direct connection as much as possible. Um, and so all for US people, all, tax, all uh, donations are tax deductible. Um, and you know, there's many different ways. If you just wanna donate, you can support, uh, sponsor individual vets. You can sponsor retreats. If you are a high roller and you mm -hmm. want to go to the exec retreat and go with the veterans yourself, that's there's there's all sorts of ways. If you are willing to help us help the vets, then we can find a way to make that possible that works with you. So um, in whatever way you, your support, expertise, financial, uh, just advocacy, please let us know. We, we're always happy to bring people on board. It's, I'm so glad, Jesse, that you exist. I'm so glad that you didn't stay in Wall Street, and I'm 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 so glad your parents allow you and your sister to be batshit crazy because without that we wouldn't have heroic hearts, and without heroic hearts, and a lot of the people that are doing the advocacy work and the real work, we just we wouldn't be near as far as we are right now. And it's uh it's nothing but an honor to have you on, and you are welcome, and you know that anytime you want to come on, and um, I know our listeners are going to be very excited to hear everything that you had to say. All right, guys, that's it for this week. That's it for Jesse at Heroic Hearts. And um, hit them up, guys. Go give them a follow. Seriously, they're doing life-changing work. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.